So really, they, they wanted to use the building as the anchor to take their own data, the consumption data, a notion of what the building is, the, the square footage, the height, the age, et cetera, and a notion of what's going inside and blend all those things together and kind of data science uh, that up to, to come up with some sort of answer. So those are, the, those are some of the exciting things we're seeing where people come to us with, with some sort of unique challenge that we had not even imagined possible. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking to Carl and Carl is the president of a company called Building Footprint USA and as the name suggests these guys curate and manufacture building footprints for the USA, also for Canada and once they have this data they enrich it with a whole bunch of other attributes. But before we dive into the interview, I just want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Hive Mapper. That's Hive as in Beehive Mapper. And these are the guys that let you upload video footage into the cloud and have it automatically processed into a 3D mapping layer. And I think the really brilliant thing about this platform is that this video footage, it doesn't necessarily have to contain any metadata, you know, in terms of location. It'll be geo-referenced anyway, and it also doesn't have to be looking straight down at the geographic area. This could also be oblique imagery. So this is really cool. It's worth checking out. Okay, let's get into the interview. Hi, Carl. Welcome to the podcast. Now, you are the president of a company called Building Footprints USA. So I think already the audience has a little bit of understanding what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. But before we dive into that, perhaps you could just take a couple of minutes to give us a bit of idea of your background and how you got involved in the geospatial industry. Yeah. Well, well first of all, Daniel, thanks so much for having me on Mapscaping. This is uh, it's very exciting to be on a, a podcast like this and being able to have a conversation. So, so when I think about my history in, in geospatial and GIS, a lot of it is really accidental. I was in university in upstate New York in the early 90s, and I was doing some computer stuff in university. And I started working for a company that did school bus routing, which was pretty interesting. And then a friend of mine said, hey, there's this little company down the road that needs some interns, and this company is called Map Info. <laughs> and that was sort of it, this this eureka for me, like, hey, I, I love computers, I love maps, going back to when I was uh, a young boy. And uh, so the love affair began, uh, began with, with computer-based mapping. I love the idea of being an accidental geographer. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. It is, it is fun. It is fun when, when we look at all the people in our industry, certainly we have the people that have the master's and the bachelor's degrees in geospatial and GIS, but equally exciting to me are sort of all the people who have taken these very, you know, cir circuitous paths to get into the geospatial and data analytics industry. It really keeps keeps the industry very fresh. Absolutely. I look at that as an enrichment of the industry. All these new ideas, new people coming in and looking looking at things with, with different eyes and solving problems in different ways. I think I think it's absolutely brilliant. So your your company, like I, like I said before, is called Building Footprints USA. Um, first of all, congratulations on having perhaps the most searched, optimized name <laughs> in the history of the internet, because because as luck would have it, you also do something with building footprints in the USA. But isn't, it can, isn't that can, amazing? Yeah. We, we we put a lot of thought into it up front. That was that was very cool the way things worked out there, right? Yeah, it was br brilliant. A stroke of genius. 
can you tell me about that? Why? So are you creating building footprints yourself? Where are you getting them from? And what are you doing with them? Yeah, let, let me let me tell you a little bit of the history, kind of the short history of the company. So Building Footprint USA, and as I tell sort of my colleagues, my team members, hey, if, if anyone comes up with a better name for this company, let, let's get it out there. Until then, <laughs> uh, it's Building Footprint USA, and it's sort of this working title has uh, has sort of lasted for two and a half, three years. So for, for us, a building footprint is is the outline of every building. And by every building, we really mean every building. My single family home, uh, we want a building footprint or an outline for my detached garage. We want building outlines or building footprints for commercial and retail and industrial and multifamily dwellings, et cetera. And, and that's really the starting point for us. And once we create the building footprint, we try to attribute the heck out of it. So taking a look at each building and saying, what is the address or the addresses inside the building? What is the height of the building? What is the ground elevation of the building? If there's commercial activity in the building, what, what does that represent? Does it represent retail, commercial, et cetera? If there are demographics or if, if it's residential, what are the demographics of the people inside? So we're really trying to create a, a picture for each building of, of every single possible thing that someone might want to know about the building for their business problem. So we've got a lot going on there. First of all, we've got this this geometry layer of buildings, which is interesting in itself. And then we're we're attaching a whole bunch of attributes to those geometries. Could we could we break it up like that? Could you tell me a little bit about the geometries first? Where do they come from? Yeah, great great question. So you know, I, I think we we've had the luxury over the years, we've been around a while and we've had the luxury of looking at companies like here and TomTom and, and others out there and trying to figure out how, how do you create this data at scale? How do you create any, any data set at scale? And we, we thought and contemplated that problem a, a bit early on. And, and we thought, hey, we need, to, we need to put a number of bets down on the table. We need to think about uh, more of a curating process where I have many different ways of creating the data and assembling the data. So the first thing we do is, is we're voracious open data users. You know, if the city of New York has a GIS team creating great building footprint data, they're going to do a better job at creating that data than anyone else could from the outside. So if they're posting that data to an open data site, we're grabbing that data and incorporate it into our portfolio. Where data doesn't exist, uh, and, and there, there is some data that exists in, in the United States and Canada. Canada, we have a Canadian product, great open data policies in Canada, probably some of the best that we've seen. In the United States, sometimes you have uh, organizations, uh, counties or cities that have data, but they hold it really close. Sometimes we're able to kind of pry that data out of, of people. But where the data is not obtainable or doesn't exist, we manufacture it and we have two main strategies. So we are as uh, huge consumers of LIDAR data. LIDAR data is excellent for manufacturing uh, building footprints and manufacturing building footprints from LIDAR gives you height of building, ground elevation of building. And then we also manufacture data using sort of these machine learning uh, based image uh, recognition techniques where we can look at high resolution ortho imagery and glean or discern uh, where the buildings are and therefore where the building footprints, uh, what they look like. 
Okay, so they, they seem like all really, really good strategies. But immediately, it sounds like there's a lot of work there. I mean, putting together a, a network of of data layers that you can pull from and updating that. So that now what I'm talking about is, of course, the open data, open data that's around that you're pulling together, as well as manufacturing your own data. That sounds like a huge project. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, it's it's a huge project, but it also is a, uh, a differentiator, being able to smartly and at a low cost figure out how do you continuously keep this data up to date if the city of wherever in some state is continuously every three or six months putting out an update, how do you go and grab that data set? How do you look at a, a recent uh, LIDAR data set that becomes available and manufacture off of that? And how do you look at even blending some of these sources together? There are several counties in, in the United States where our data comes from five, six, eight, even even 10 different sources. And we sort of intelligently blend the data together to create the notion of, of best data for the county. I like it the way you so calmly talk about this, but, we, but we're also talking about thing, doing this at scale. And I think, you know, it's one thing to do this across a city, to maintain a, a data set across a city, which would be a challenge in itself. It's a whole nother thing to do this for the entire U.S., and to add Canada to the mix and to be looking out across the borders and saying at some stage we'd perhaps like to be doing this across the world. I think scale really adds that level of complexity, which I think a lot of people would perhaps underestimate in terms of difficulty, what it takes to do that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Daniel. We, so we, we often refer to ourselves as, as lucky. I suppose you, you make your own luck, but uh, you know, you think of, of some of the, the ingredients that we have available to us. You know, there's just enough open data available for us to start building a product. Um, technology and software and hardware is, is available at, at just enough scale to make cost of manufacturing things uh, reasonable. We have uh, just enough ingredients coming out into the public domain, LIDAR data, imagery data that we can hook on to. And, and certainly as a, as a sort of a small company, um, you, you have kind of the luxury of just saying, hey, we're going to take this thing that we're going to do and just focus on this and not worry about uh, sort of the bureaucracy and nonsense that often happens in, in large companies. So, so you know, you combine all those things together and, and really we've, we've gotten lucky that, uh, that there's kind of this great confluence of events and, and, and scenarios that have, have made it easy for us to start this company and scale it up. And I, um, when I hear your story, it sounds like you're taking advantage of a, a few different things that, uh, or sort of reoccurring themes that I see out there in the market right now. And the first one is definitely that idea of curation of data over creation of data. And obviously, you're doing a little bit of both. But that curation gives you a real head start. And of course, being a, a smaller company, perhaps that that being laser focused you know we're not doing everything we're doing this one thing but we're doing it really really well i hope the listeners have an idea of where the um the vector side of your data set is coming from now where the, the physical building footprints are coming from perhaps you could talk a little bit about these attributes that you're attaching to the buildings yeah absolutely so we again we're trying to put every single bit of information possible uh, on on the building and and we almost we, we use like cooking analogies a lot you know sort of the the building itself is is flour we say okay hey we have we have the building we have the flour now what are you trying to make you know we can give you the cinnamon the sugar the vanilla 
currants, whatever. If you want to make scones, if you want to make uh, you know a cake, we'll we'll give you a set of ingredients. So so we like to we liken our our attribution to a set of ingredients that sit that sit on the shelf. So the interesting question is where where do some of these ingredients come from? Well, in in both the United States and Canada, we're able to draw from a huge wealth of open uh, addressing information, going to cities and counties, drawing data from assessors and uh, emergency 911 agencies and local GIS departments. And, and it was our belief early on that we would go out and collect this information ourselves, both to keep costs down and also just to get the freshest data possible. It's, it's uh, interesting. I, you know, I'd give a shout out to uh, openaddresses.io. If, if any listener hasn't heard of it, uh, great, fantastic uh, website of, of several people who are just you know, passionate about kind of curating and assembling open address information. We use that as a reference. Uh, so we gather all this information and, and think of it as just a huge database of address information that we then blend with the, uh, with the building footprint. For things like height and ground elevation, we manufacture that ourselves. You know, it's interesting, if you, you take a look at any single variable that we have or that we create, and, and we, we have to make a decision. You know, for for building height, we looked and said, okay, we could create from LIDAR all this complexity of, of an average roof or pitch, uh, pitch of a roof, uh, buildings that have multiple uh, multiple roof components, et cetera. And we said, hey, let's let's just create a single variable. We'll just say, hey, what is the average height of the roof? And then we went out and tested that on the market, talked with telco companies, insurance companies, other users of that attribute. We decided, hey, that was that was good enough for now. So certain attributes we create ourselves, like building height, and then we also engage a network of data partners. There are a lot of exciting companies out there from the the info groups creating business list data, companies creating assessor data, companies that have been out there for a long time that we can develop partnerships with, uh, companies that some data companies, data partners out there that really no one's ever heard of that have exciting assets that we can bring in. And then there are a host of, of new companies creating really exciting attribution that we can blend into our data as well. So that's a whole lot of attributes about the building itself. And, and that you know uh, fits in really nicely with the fact that we're talking about building footprints. So that, that makes perfect sense to me. What about derived things like um, values or information about the neighborhood where the building is, that kind of thing? Is that something that, that the market is asking for or that people that, that are people are interested in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, people want to may want to impart sort of a, a broader uh, attribute onto the individual buildings, or they may want to take uh, two different data elements that come from two different sources and using the building as the anchor, they may use that to uh, kind of the building it acts as the anchor to, to blend different data sets together. A great example. And we're continuously surprised by people who come to us and they're like, hey, could I, can I do this with your data? And uh, so a great example came up where someone said, uh, hey, we're an energy analytics company. We want to evaluate the sort of the, the energy consumption characteristics of every single commercial building in this very large area. We said, great. They said, 
uh, asked them, okay, what do you want to know? They said, well, we want to be able to take a look at uh, consumption data for every building, how much heat, uh, electricity, et cetera, are being used in every building. And then we want to cross that, cross-reference that against the, the physical characteristics of the building. What's the height of the building, the square footage? What's the age of the building? What's the roof type, et cetera? And then a notion of, of what's inside. If there's commercial activity, is it white collar office workers? Is it, is it um, industrial manufacturing? Is it computer software companies inside the building, et cetera? So really they, they wanted to use the building as the anchor to take their own data, the consumption data, a notion of what the building is, the, the square footage, the height, the age, et cetera, and a notion of what's going inside and blend all those things together and kind of data science uh, that up to, to come up with some sort of answer. So those are, the, those are some of the exciting things we're seeing where people come to us with, with some sort of unique challenge that we had not even imagined possible. And I think um, buildings in themselves uh, are really interesting. And and this um, this was an idea that sort of jumped in my in my head, or I started thinking about when we had our our, our first call uh, about this interview. And it occurred to me that buildings are really islands in the middle of this landscape. And what's happening inside the buildings is not necessarily reflected what in what's happening outside. And of course, the, these these sort of mini ecosystems they change all the time. Uh, businesses come and go, uh, different families move in, buildings are used for different purposes. So I think it's a really interesting data set that, that you've built when you start looking at at them as little islands and then attaching these other attributes to that. Absolutely. And and you look at, at sort of the impact of, of islands against neighboring islands. How does what's going on on, on one island kind of influence or project out certain behaviors or things that happen on other islands. Uh, does an island or a building have some sort of gravitational force that, that attracts certain things in, in neighboring islands? That's, that's a great metaphor for some of the things that we see people uh, looking to do uh, with our data. So I think we've established now a little bit about where the data comes from, how you put it together, why you put it together in that way, some of the attributes that are that are interesting for the people you're looking to serve. And you talked a little bit about a um, specific case study there in terms of energy, how much energy was being used in these, in these different buildings. Um, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about some other case studies or what other people are doing with this data. Yeah, absolutely, Daniel. So, you know, I, I go back to Whenever I talk about industries that are using our data, I go back to sort of our, our origin story at, at Building Footprint USA. Our origin story is that we thought we would create a better data set for location-based marketing. Whenever I talk about location-based marketing, I sort of almost needlessly put my phone in my hand and, and hold it up uh, because that's representative of what, of what location-based marketing is. You know, Daniel and Carl and Joe and Jane, you know, they walk around. We all walk around and our phones uh, track us and we give uh, permission willingly or, or maybe unwillingly for uh, different applications, carriers, et cetera, to look at our location and figure out how that should define how a company can uh, market to us or understand how they're influencing us, et cetera. So we put out our, our data set uh, really for, and originally for lo these location-based marketing companies and, and the use case or the, the, the business use is, hey, if Carl walks into a building, 
what's in that building? And based on that, what can we infer about Carl? And what can we infer about how we should have a relationship with Carl? And that was really the starting point. And the exciting thing for us was, and, and it shouldn't have been a surprise, we are, we're data people. We've been in this business for, for a, long, a long time. And we know that data is very sort of fluid and fungible and, and endlessly reusable and uh, derivable, derivatable. I don't know what, whatever the word would be. And, uh, and, and so within a couple of weeks after our, putting out our first product, we had insurance companies and telco companies coming to us and saying, hey, can we use your data to solve our business problem? And of course we said, heck yes. You know, even, even though we really didn't quite know if our data was was applicable to other other use cases, we said, "Hey, we're a startup," and uh, and things expanded. So, so let me talk about a couple of uh, uh, industries that use our data. We have uh, several of the largest telco companies in the United States that use our data, and for them, it's all about a few things. It's all about uh, companies that are making enormous investments in 5G network planning, and these companies are saying. Hey, I need to understand if I put these 5G nodes down on the top of telephone poles, on the top of, of small towers, et cetera, how do buildings influence negatively uh, the projection of my wireless signal? So being able to provide someone a building and, and a basic height uh, lets them look at kind of that, that, uh, the physics of, of wireless network propagation. In addition, these companies are saying, hey, if I I'm also building out fiber optic service or fiber optic network. If I'm thinking about putting a network uh, connectivity into a building, what's actually in that building? First of all, what will it cost for me to run uh, a network to the building? And then what's in the building? Give me a sense of the residential uh, makeup, uh, the commercial makeup, et cetera. And, and so, we're excited. These companies in, in telecommunications are finding that our data is just better than than the previous state of the art data sets that that they're using. Th those examples make sense. Do you want me to keep going on a little bit? No, that that was perfect. I think that that gives the audience a sense of of what this is is used for. And I think again, I'd really like to point out here that I'm imagining at least that the, these are big companies we're talking about, and they're probably not interested in just solving this problem for a certain city. I could imagine they're interested in solving this problem for a wider geographic area. So again, we're back to this idea of scale. Does the scale? Do we have a data set that is scalable, and can we provide answers at huge geographic scales? Yeah, when, when I think about one, one thing I'll mention about scale, sorry to interrupt, Daniel, what, what we often find when, when we deliver our data to, to a company is, you know, these companies may say, hey, we know that we're going to use your data for A and B. And then we often work with these companies to give them sort of that license or permission to see if, if you know, D, E, F, G, whatever use cases are, are available. And that, that, that to us is exciting that, that we know we can get our data into an organization for some specific purposes, but there are a lot of smart geos, a lot of smart and creative geospatial people out there that, you know, when they get an ingredient, um, you know, when they get cinnamon for the first time, they may say, okay, of course you can bake a cake with cinnamon. And then someone says, right, you know, rightly or wrongly, someone says, Hey, I didn't even know I could put cinnamon in coffee. Now, some people might say that's you know heresy or whatever, but it's just an example of people take ingredients and they'll push the envelope ingredients, whether it's you know, cooking or 
geospatial data. And that's what makes this business fun. Absolutely. So you've got this huge data set. And of course, if it's going to be of value, it needs to be maintained and updated. And I remember talking to you in the pre-interview and you were saying that that you don't try and update this thing all at once. You, you do it in, in sections. Can, can you talk a little bit about that, how you update it? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, if we, if we think of the ingredients that we have uh, available to us um, and the things that we want to do, we, we certainly want to keep the building footprints themselves as, as up to date as possible, the address information as such as up to date as possible, and the uh, kind of the linkages to every single other bit of information as up to date as possible. And you think of all the things that happen in, you know, to use your your metaphor, Daniel, in all these islands. You know, islands get created. They 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 they're born, they live, and occasionally they they die or they get kind of reconstructed a little bit or expanded. Etc. So, you know, for a small company like us, we place some bets to try to figure out where where the the best bang for the buck is, and and also to be reasonable about what what we can realistically do each uh, each quarter. So, what you'd see every every quarter, we add new coverage. We um, go in and review existing coverage and and tuck in updates wherever possible. We might pull in. A continuous stream of, of postal service data from either Canada Post or the U.S. Postal Service and blend that in. Uh, but oftentimes we're, we're prioritizing uh, what areas to focus. And that prioritization comes from a number of different angles. Certainly we have, we look at high growth areas, the, the Phoenixes, the Torontos, the, uh, you know, suburbs of, of certain big cities in, in the southeast. And we try to focus on those. But we also know that we, we get customers coming to us asking for the areas that might not be as obvious. So the, the areas like uh, you know, a pipeline, energy pipeline co- company comes to us and says, hey, can you make sure you're building out the, the most accurate picture of the Texas panhandle where the you know, population per square mile or kilometers is very, very low, very rural areas. So we oftentimes have, have customers that are pushing us to, to build out areas uh, as quickly and as accurately as possible in, in some of the, the non-obvious places. So I, I realize that we're sort of um, going backwards a little bit in the conversation now. Perhaps I, we should have tackled the, this uh, earlier on when we were talking about the data, but I think this is a really great idea because it, all of a sudden it takes this humongous problem of scale down to a uh, a size that you can deal with because I don't have to update the whole US at once. I don't have to update all of Canada at once. Or, you know, I can focus on particular neighborhoods if I want and just sort of move through the data set continuously picking and choosing and updating and making decisions on what areas are updated based on de- demand perhaps. But I, th- I think that's a really it's a really interesting approach. And it reminds me a little bit of the idea of uh, caching on demand. So if I have a web map service, and I can cache on demand and say, okay, these areas that are being used a lot, I can cache them and update them perhaps once a month or as changes come through instead of having to update or build an entire cache at once. And I think that's a really, really clever approach. Um, so a couple of interesting things with building footprints have been happening lately. And I want to talk specifically about what Microsoft is doing. So in the last little while, they've released millions and millions and millions of building footprints for Canada, or first of all, off it was the US, and then earlier this year it was Canada and um, Tanzania. How d- Does this destroy your business? Uh, does this add value? To what, what, what does this mean for a company like you guys? 
Yeah. So, so this is, this to me is sort of the, the excitement, both the, you know, the, the fun excitement and, and the, the stress of, of, of a small business, you know, that the story of the Microsoft building footprint data is, is fascinating. And, and we applaud any, we applaud the technical achievement. We applaud Microsoft releasing this data, uh, the, in the manner that they did. And I still remember back in, I think, roughly June 2018, we received the first email from someone who said, hey, did you see what Microsoft did? And obviously, your, your initial reaction is, as, a, as a business stakeholder, when, when someone does something like this is, oh, oh how, how bad is this going to be for us? And when all of a sudden you're competing against free, and competing against free can be very challenging. What we found out, though, is it actually is 180 degrees different than what we originally thought. We originally thought this is a huge competitive concern. We're competing against free. And it, it turns out that that uh, people realized what the data is. It's a massive data set of, of building footprints that's available for anyone to use and what it isn't. So the, the data does not come with any form of attribution. Um, the data has uh, certain license restrictions that, that limit its use in commercial applications. And between those two things, it became less of a competitive threat and more of an enabler. It lets anyone out there, as with any OpenStreetMap data set or OpenAddresses.io data set, it lets anyone experiment with building footprint data at scale. And that's fantastic. Anyone can go grab tens of millions of building footprints and see what it looks like in their application. For many uses, it, it's good enough. Uh, the example I can think of is the New York Times did did a, a story where they did a graphic that showed sort of where um, population is. And they used uh, the, the building footprints to create this amazing image. Uh, so for some users, it's it's more than enough, and other users experiment. They quickly find out what isn't present. Oftentimes, the attribution is what they focus on. Then they look around and say, "Hey, is there a company out there that actually has building footprints and attribution?" And as you pointed out, Daniel, uh, our, our business name is highly searchable, and someone types in building footprint data, and boom, they find us. So, uh, so again, we. It's fascinating the way things uh, work out sometimes where something that is is a huge concern becomes one of the um, biggest enablers that you could have had as a business. I love the fact that you're so positive about this because th that's th this is my take on it as well. I mean, yeah, you could see them as a competitor, but you can also see them as an enabler. So. Microsoft has essentially gone out and said, hey, everyone, we've done this thing here. Firstly, they've told people, they've told you know, billions of people across the world that this, that this is possible, and it set everyone thinking, what could I do with building footprints? When will they do it for Europe? When will they do it for Australia, for Asia, for these other countries? You know, Because I'm, I'm thinking that this is, that kind of thing is on the way. This will come, and that'll set a whole bunch of people to thinking about what they can do with it, and then that creates a lot of opportunity in the market. Yeah, very, very well put. And I think there is this this spirit, whether these data sets come from commercial companies that are doing things that are, you know, have, have an altruism to it. I, I don't know what exactly Microsoft's motivations were. I, I wouldn't even begin to guess. 
but in the end, there's this this huge altruistic effect. And and really, it's similar to the the open data initiatives that happen uh, every single day in thousands of of local governments, where where local governments say, "Hey, we don't know exactly how this is going to benefit our community, but we think that if we make this a data a data available and open." That uh, that we're paying it forward, that that somehow our our community will benefit. So, and and in the end, it's it's companies like ours that uh, like Building Footprint USA that that benefit from these these incredible acts of sort of openness, open data, and altruism. Absolutely. Hey, I've just got one more question for you before before I let you go. And this question is what. what what is the thing that you're most excited about? Where do you see the most opportunity in this space? Yeah, so, you know, I, I could sit here. There are many questions I could sit here and prattle on a, about for, for hours and, and, and bore, the, bore the mapscaping audience. And it, it's tough to, to even sit here and, and think of one. I, to me, the, the most exciting thing, and I touched on it a, a couple times in, in this, this podcast, is the stuff that, that we can't even imagine, you know, with, with data sets, you make a data set, you make it available and people's creativity, geospatial professionals, GIS professionals, data analytics, people, data science, people, uh, or people who just sort of have an idea, look at the data and say, can I do this thing with the data? And, and to me, that's the exciting stuff just as a business owner, hopefully we, you know, are, are able to make money based on other people looking at our data and um, and be able to find new things that they can do with the data. But also it's just intellectually invigorating when when someone when when you see someone create something new uh, based on ingredients that you've produced. And uh, you know we're we're capitalists, that's for sure, but we also love seeing seeing people uh, create and those two things together. You know, we flourish when we're able to get our ingredients into uh, into the hands of creative people. Yeah, and personally, I can't see why why they should be mutually exclusive. I think they can, they can they can live together definitely. Hey, um, Carl, I really want to thank you for taking the time to do this interview with me. It's been really enlightening, and and it's just really nice to talk to someone who is so positive about the industry. I, I really appreciate that, and you've shared a few stories which I really hope inspire other people and and give them perhaps the boost they need to to go out there and create something and, and do something new before i let you go could you just let the the audience know where they could go to learn more about you and, and follow along absolutely so you can find us on the web at buildingfootprintusa.com uh, we're on twitter as well linkedin feel free to follow us on linkedin or twitter uh, building footprint usa or as we point out right early at the beginning we are uh, very searchable on the internet so uh so google and building footprint and you'll find us looking forward to starting a conversation with anyone thanks again carl i really appreciate it excellent thank you very much daniel So at the top of this interview, I talked a little bit about my sponsor, Hive Mapper, and I mentioned about how you can upload video footage to the cloud and have it processed to 3D mapping layers. But, but what I didn't mention is that they've got this really cool feature that also lets you segment images. And this is done automatically. So there's no training sets required, there's no pixel signatures required, and it's repeatable. So I could do this for every single layer that Hive Mapper creates for me. And I can automatically segment images into show me all the buildings, show me all the trees, show me all the water, where is the pavements. And they have another really cool um, group there, which is called mobile. And this is all the things that can be moved. 
such as vehicles, boats, cars, aeroplanes, people and animals. I have no clue how they do it, but I think it's cool. It's worth checking out. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and I want to remind you that you are more than welcome to reach out to me for whatever reason on social media. To do so, you'll find some useful links in the show notes of this episode. I would really love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. It's much appreciated and I'll see you next week. Bye.